Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 60 for the week ending Monday, June 6th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu. Really glad you could join me. Uh, later on in the program, I'll be sharing part of a chat I had with uh, Venture Capital for Africa founder Ben White. Now, Ben's organization recently published some research findings called the 2016 Venture Finance in Africa, which points to growing investor appetite in African early stage startups. So I asked him to give me a sense of how they came to that conclusion and to give us a sense of what he makes of the VC scene on the continent. That's all coming up later, though. In the meantime, if you're listening in for the first time, an extra special welcome to you. You should be happy to know that uh, all our past episodes are available for you to catch up on uh, at africantechroundup.com. We also love hearing from all of you, so please do keep your comments coming on Twitter and Instagram at African Roundup is the handle, uh, or just post us something on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Before we carry on, though, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. Now, in honor of the sad passing away of global boxing legend and human rights activist Muhammad Ali, we recommend that you listen to Muhammad Ali, The Making of an Icon, a book by Michael Ezra. Now, it's widely considered to be an excellent study that examines the relationships between uh, Ali's cultural appeal and all its commercial manifestations. It's definitely worth a listen. And to listen to it for free, click through to audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. Now, this week's news headlines are coming up in a moment. But first, uh, a quick follow-up to our coverage last week of Ghana's top cop threatening to block access to social media during the country's upcoming elections in November 2016. Now, this would be following the example of African countries like Uganda, Congo, Brazzaville, and Chad. Now, I mentioned on last week's show that there didn't seem to be too much pushback on the matter on Twitter. But some of our listeners have since alerted me to the fact that uh, the announcement caused quite a stir on mainstream radio in Ghana. Uh, also, high-profile legal experts in Ghana like Esan Koma and Professor Audrey Gadzekpo have condemned the suggestion. And some communication students from the University of Ghana have even threatened demonstrations. So I stand corrected. It does seem Ghanaians care about the matter. And uh, it remains to be seen, though, whether the government will take this pushback into account when deciding whether or not to block social media platforms come November 7th. In the meantime, though, here's an audio comment from one of our Ghanaian listeners who would be quite disappointed if the government went ahead with that plan. Take a listen. My name is Isaac Lad. I'm a young Ghanaian graphic designer. I run my own business and my, most of my work is done on social media. I promote my work extremely on social media and uh, um, especially when it comes to Facebook. So any attempt to close down social media for even a day would affect my work and not just that i mean the, the ramifications of such an action on an international stage i do work for a lot of people outside ghana and i mean if our country begins to get a bad reputation for being undemocratic and all that won't occur well for all of us so i'm against um censorship of social media in any form whatever the reasons may be i think we can find a better way to deal with them than to totally black out social media for any reason 
Thanks for sharing your views with us, Isaac. Uh, remember that you too can be part of the show by sending us your audio comments on any of the news items and discussion topics that we raise on the show. All you have to do is email hello at africantechroundup.com and we'll make absolutely sure that your voice is heard all around the world. And now on to this week's headlines. We start with some international news. Uh, Bitcoin is currently trading at its highest level since 2014. Now, this is no small thanks to Chinese domestic demand. Some analysts reckon that the five-year low China's yuan has reached against the dollar has led to locals in that country turning to Bitcoin to offload their local currency. An interesting development, certainly with uh, major economic heavyweights like Japan considering making Bitcoin legal currency and African countries still being reluctant to embrace the potential of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, it remains to be seen whether Bitcoin will continue to be in as much demand going forward. Uh, if the predictions uh, that Tawanda Kimball made on the show a few weeks back are anything to go by, Africa could very well lead the way on this cryptocurrency trend. Uh, it, that's if we got our act together, and certainly if political will was galvanized in that direction. Well, we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on this one. Next up, though, Standard Chartered Bank is poised to launch a mobile and online banking app targeting 1 million users in eight African countries. Uh, that's namely Botswana, Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, Tanzania, Uganda, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. Now, the platform is already live in Nigeria and Ghana. Do tell us how it's working. Uh, for those of you who are Standard Chartered Bank clients, give us a shout um, on Twitter at African Roundup. We'd love to, to know how it's working. Um, their plan, however, is to deliver a seamless online experience across laptops, tablets, and mobile phones, across devices, um, and also just with the aim of being available whenever and wherever their clients need access. So they also have plans to launch fingerprint recognition technology in these markets later on in the year, offering a more secure and convenient way to log into accounts. Look, is this a mind-bending innovation? No, I guess not. But, but Barclays Africa executive Stephen Van Collar did call it when we featured him on the show last week when he said that the sheer scale and customer access that banking incumbents possess in developing markets you know, should continue to make a complete disruption of their business unlikely. Now, very few fintech startups have the means and the reach to run trials Never mind roll out services to as many customers in as many markets as Standard Chartered is doing with this particular platform. So yeah, an interesting one to observe. Do let us know how you like it as it comes to your country. And let us know if the international nature of Standard Bank's brand has made banking more convenient for you as you've done business across the continent. Now for some encouraging news out of Kenya where Liquid Telecom, a subsidiary of Zimbabwe's Econet Group, has announced a partnership with the Communications Authority of Kenya to connect 46 branches of Kenya's national library services with free internet. The project is meant to begin this month and is set to cost just shy of three quarters of a million dollars. What isn't clear to us, though, is exactly how much of that bill Kenyan taxpayers will be footing. That said, each library will get... 11 computers each, as well as e-readers and tablets. It said that internet access in these libraries will be free. Now, Liquid Telecom seems to be on a roll because in February this year, they announced an ambitious plan to provide free Wi-Fi to towns all over Kenya. I'm curious to understand what their profit model is for such projects, perhaps offering limited amounts of free Wi-Fi 
as well as access to a selection of zero-rated portals, and then perhaps charging users for, for anything they do further on the network. Perhaps that's what they're doing. If there's anyone at Liquid Telecom listening to this podcast who can shed light on uh, their strategy, give us a shout. Also, if you're in an area where um, you've benefited from the infrastructure they're building across Kenya, give us a shout as well. We'd love to hear about it. To South Africa next, where the continent's largest media and internet company and indeed one of the most valuable stocks on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, Naspers, saw its share price rise to an all-time high this past week, reaching 2,320 rand 73 cents and uh, pushing its market value to just over 1 trillion rand, which is roughly 6.7 billion US dollars. Naspers are the folks that own MultiChoice, which in turn owns DSTV and Supersport. They also own a 34% stake in China's Tencent Holdings, the parent company of the messaging app WeChat. Now that winning investment in Tencent, uh, as well as the weak rand, are the two things widely regarded as the biggest reasons for Naspers' excellent performance of late. Now this week, Naspers flexed its might again by investing 60 million US dollars in quote-unquote, the world's largest destination for online courses, the American company Udemy. Yep, Naspers is definitely on a roll. If you invested in this firm some years ago, uh, you're probably smiling all the way to the bank. One question on anybody's mind might be, how high can this thing go? One only has to take a glance at the world's most valuable stock, at least America's most valuable stock, Apple, to, to realize that stock prices are cyclical and what goes up must come down at some point. The question is, how much higher can the stock go? And uh, if you're invested in the stock, is now a good time to cash in? Well, time will tell. To Nigeria next, where the House of Representatives is about to adopt an electric voting system that is expected to replace the current rather chaotic all in support say aye, all who are against say nay. You know that method? Yeah. Well, that's said to be a thing of the past as... Uh, This development is uh, another step towards the induction of what is being dubbed e-parliament. I wonder if the big idea going forward, or at least in the future sometime, is for parliamentarians not to even have to be physically in a room together in order for parliament to be in session, you know? I think the term that's used is the sitting of parliament, which is usually made in reference to the physical presence of parliamentarians in one place to make decisions for the country, uh, which, who knows, could be a thing of the past in, in countries around the world. I don't know if there's anywhere in the world where that's the case where you can sort of log in virtually in order to sit in parliament uh if there is please let let me know i'd be curious to know uh however in the interim nigeria is hoping that this new development will improve accountability by accurately reflecting attendance and voting records which have been an issue in the past and yeah so let's see how this one goes meanwhile egypt's ministry of communications and information technology has announced plans to build and operate a series of science and technology parks across the country which will be known as wait for it silicon waha <laughs> the planned project uh, will consist of six technology parks in the cities of burj al arab madinat al sadat tent of ramadan new beni suef new asiyut and new aswan Now, the race is clearly on to replicate the Silicon Valley model by taking on the likes of Kenya's Silicon Savannah, uh, the Silicon Lagoon of Yaba in Lagos, and, of course, Silicon Cape in the Western Cape of South Africa. Now, the only thing is we've discussed many times on the show that the success of Silicon Valley and the whole vibe isn't necessarily about launching fancy co-working spaces or, quote-unquote, innovation hubs, much less throwing grant money at them, but rather... You know, syndicating efforts to provide startups with the much-needed mentorship, access to markets, uh, scale, influence, expertise uh, that they need to grow, along with the money to fund growth. So 
yeah, I'd call that smart money uh, as opposed to, you know, the type of efforts we typically see on the continent just building these spaces that they hope will attract the kind of innovation we all hope to see. Look, it remains to be seen where the Silicon Waha will succeed, where other similarly branded efforts around the continent have so far failed to produce significant evidence of success. I do wish them well. Um, we are a fledgling tech ecosystem corporately as a continent. So, yeah, it is good news. However, we keep an eye on it to see if it actually does produce what we all hope it will. Uh, finally, Zimbabwe's Industry and Commerce Minister Mike Bima has announced that the country will be launching a trade information portal designed to be a one-stop facility for anyone interested in information regarding trade and investment within Zimbabwe. Now, it's an EU-funded project which will be implemented by the International Trade Center in Geneva, Switzerland. The plan is to provide online access to information related to economic and investment data, as well as current intelligence relating to trade within Zimbabwean enterprises, including duties, taxes, trade agreements, and national regulations. Now, this is the type of information that anyone who does business in and around Zimbabwe will tell you is very difficult to get a handle on. Uh, there's so much misinformation circulating around uh, issues of policy and trade uh, that it I can see why it would be in the best interest of both the Zimbabwean government as well as foreign investors to know what's up and to know for sure how to operate when trying to do business in Zimbabwe. Now, in my view, this development affirms the notion that despite Zimbabwe's much-publicized cash crunch uh, and economic troubles in general, the country continues to be uh, an incredibly important economic player in the Southern African region. And more importantly, you know, Zimbabwe continues to attract the interest and at very least the curiosity of international investors from around the world, which is good news. And so with the week's headlines out of the way, as promised, I'm going to play you a, a part of an in-depth conversation I had with Ben Smith. Now, he's the founder of VC for Africa, Venture Capital for Africa. As I mentioned earlier, Ben's organization recently published some research findings called the 2016 Venture Finance in Africa, a report which highlights growing investor appetites in African early-stage startups. Now, I asked him to give me a sense of how they came to that determination and uh, to give us his sense of what he makes of the VC scene on the continent. Take a listen. From VC phrase perspective, we're, we're always talking about, okay, you know, there are these fantastic innovative ventures. They have this potential to yield high social, economic, uh, environmental uh, impact. These entrepreneurs are a critical driver for, for economic growth and, and development. We need to be focusing our attention on their needs and we need to be amassing resources so that we can better support these individuals. But then at the same time, you know, how are these companies actually progressing? How are they performing over time? Uh, are they investment worthy for you know financial reasons, but also for for you know economic and 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 social and, and environmental reasons? Is there is there a case to be investing in entrepreneurship? And I think that's a question that you know African governments are asking themselves, Western governments, multinationals, you know any kind of stakeholder you can think of, uh, you know well beyond just the entrepreneur and and the investors themselves. Um, you know, everyone's asking these questions. And, and so, you know, for us, uh, having a network of, of entrepreneurs, um, you know, we are in a, in a great position to reach out to, to these individuals and to say, hey, why don't you share some of your, your information with us? And at the same time, we can help you benchmark your performance against that of your peers uh, so that you as a founder have a better idea and a better sense 
uh, you know, of how your venture is, is progressing in, 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 in parallel you know, with the other companies that are operating in your space. And by doing this, start to be able to, to look at trends as they emerge across sectors or industries or countries. Uh, and, and, you know, and from that, distill insights that are, that are you know, I think, useful for everyone involved. So that's where uh, two years ago we, we initiated our own um, you know, research uh, activities. Uh, really, we're looking at five parameters uh, you know, that breaks down data across uh, sort of major topics uh, or themes like employment, uh, venture performance, uh, investment activity, investor uh, perspectives, and, and ecosystem. So in, in 2014, we had 257 companies benchmarked and, and 71 investors that participated in the survey. Uh, in 2015, uh, we had 462 ventures from 41 African countries uh, and 140 African-focused investors from 25 countries uh, benchmark themselves uh, through this research. Okay, that's pretty. That's pretty deep. Yeah, it's it's definitely growing. You know, year on year, um, it's only a sample, right? As far as samples go, it's I'd say it's a pretty decent sample yeah but it's it's you know it's it's still only a sample and and it's not you know we can't say and i don't think anyone should say that this is representative of you know everything that's happening um you know who decides to participate in, in a benchmark like this why they decide to participate you know there are a lot of different factors that come into play uh and, and that you know people should consider when when they're looking at the information that's being presented uh, but at the same time you know we, we see that you know, as our research activities grow over time, as the sample sizes, you know, grow over time, uh, the data that we're aggregating and, and the insights we're able to distill from that are, are getting better and better. Share some highlights from the data you collected. Yeah. So, you know, I think what we see, what we experience um, every day, but also what, what we're getting back in, in terms of data, um, you know, we see that not only are the volume of businesses uh, growing over time, but more importantly, the quality of the businesses uh, are improving. So we know that you know, entrepreneurs have now been able to secure venture funding in, in 26 African countries, uh, which I think is, is rather remarkable. You know, I think just across the board, companies are, are not only increasing their, their turnover, uh, but they're also growing their team size. Uh, and as a result, uh, the amount of capital that they're able to secure in, in the form of investments uh, is increasing. Uh, so the trends, you know, across sort of all of the key metrics that, that we look at uh, are improving. You know, I think here we, we see in, in the most recent research, 48% uh, of the ventures are successful in securing external capital, uh, which is compared to just 44% last year. Uh, the average capital that's been secured uh, has increased from 130,000 in 2013 uh, to 206,000 in 2014 to now 326,000 uh, in in this most recent report. So, is it, would it be fair to infer that there are more investable startups in the market than ever before? One and two, is it getting easier to raise money on the continent? Uh, I think for a founder, it's never easy to to raise, uh, you know, funding, but definitely on the aggregate, you know, just the number of, of ventures, but also the, the number of investors and the amount of capital that's available for the ventures is, 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 is increasing. 
And so given your access to, to all this data and your links and, 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 and networks, the networks you have under management, uh, what tips could you give startup founders on, in Africa on how to, to land, firstly, seed capital from, say, an angel investor or, or potentially even a, a VC, and later various rounds of funding from, from larger investors? You know, I think to, to some extent, Entrepreneurs don't realize that their best friend uh, in in this you know startup battle is are, are the entrepreneurs sitting next to them. Uh, I think oftentimes entrepreneurs are you know they're looking too far uh, you know outside of their direct network uh, for answers and solutions. And and really you know it starts by building a network of trusted colleagues around you, you know that you can reach out to, that you can have conversations with, that you can you know engage. Uh, you know, for, for ideas, um, but also for contacts, because really it's, you know, it's a, it's a referral business. You have to, you have to build your professional network and, and you start with the people you know uh, and building your network from there. Uh, and, and in that way, you will find all of the individuals that you need, uh, you know, to help you get your, your business to the next level. From the investors, we also know that, you know, sort of the, the most important thing that they look at when assessing an opportunity is is the team the quality of the team so you know if you're operating as a as a single founder if, if you're trying to set up a business and, and you're working alone that's usually a pretty bad sign uh, it, it's a bad signal um, you know I think a good startup founder is is critical you know in, in terms of knowing what they're good at what their strengths are uh, but then also being very honest about what the weaknesses are uh, and, and that's where you need co-founders, you know, who can who can really complement, I think, the skill set uh, and round out the, the the team. So you know, you need to find uh, you know a, a, a yeah a team of of dedicated co-founders who are willing to go all the way um, with you as a, as a founder in, in building up the business. And I think by doing that, you make a very attractive case for being able to connect with, with angels. Uh, and, and I do think the angel, you know, your, your first investors, they can't really be more than an hour's distance from, from where you're headquartered. So you really need to start locally and, and find those individuals who are willing to get involved. But, you know, when they come to, to, to discover um, the business, the first thing that they're looking for is, is traction. They're trying to understand what have you already done? Um, you know, I, I don't have time or, or interest for ideas. I need to see, I need to see the commitment. I need to see that there's money already invested in the business. I need to see that the founders are dedicated 120% of their time to making it a reality. And I need to see that the team, you know, however small or limited the resources might be, I need to see that they've already figured out a way to actually, you know, not only uh, sort of stress test the assumptions that go into defining the problem, but have actually uh, you know, worked on on making the solution very concrete and very tangible. And the more the founders can actually show that the business model has potential and is actually working, you know, the easier it is for for those conversations to take place. And I think once you have two, three, you know, very sort of respected angel investors involved, you know, either with their money or or just you know by being part of uh, you know of of the board. Um, in an advisory role, you really start to put, you know, uh, an investment case on the table. So I believe you guys are, are set to be part of the, the African Tech Conference happening in Paris uh, in June. Is that right? Right. Yeah. 
help our listeners on the continent understand why it's important to have an African conference happening in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I just attended one of the first uh, African conferences that was held in, in Silicon Valley, you know, and I think that these events, um, and, and they're happening more, more often all, all the time, um, you know, it's really important to to get outside of, of the continent and, and bring the story to, to, you know, different parts of the world, uh, you know, and, and really showcase what's happening and give people a sense of, you know, where the ecosystem is, uh, but also who the different players are. And, and really, I think also make it personal. So, you know, introduce yourself, introduce your organizations to, to other people in other parts of the world and say, look, you know, if you want to find out more, you, you've now met us, you, you've now met me, you here are my colleagues, um, you know, come with us, come, come visit us, contact us if you want information, et cetera, uh, and, you know, get people involved. What, what would you be trying to communicate uh, about being a VC in Africa relative to, to see, say, being a, a VC in other parts of the world? I mean, I think one of the, the biggest challenges right now for a lot of VCs is that there's just not enough deal flow at the size that they like to invest. And that's just representative of a larger problem of, okay, how do we grow the pipeline? And, and there are a lot of entrepreneurs working on very promising ventures, uh, but if they don't get some kind of support and if we don't build you know, sort of mechanisms that help these ventures scale, they're never going to get to a size that, uh, that VCs can invest. But there's popular sentiment uh, on the continent that um, foreign investors don't seem d dedicated to, to growing the scene in general or gr growing, uh, growing the scene from grassroots. It's almost as though they want to swoop in once like, there's big money to be made and not understanding that they, they sort of need to come in early and be committed to the overall well-being of, of not just the tech scene but the continent in general and care about that kind of thing. Do you find that's the case? Do you find there are a lot of people out there with, with money that could flow to Africa, but just aren't committed to waiting things out? I mean, to, to some extent, I think it's a false expectation um, that investors will ever care. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, so we should just get over like wanting to deal with people who actually care about the continent. <laughs> well, so if you want to talk about an ecosystem and you want to talk about a community, it's, it's you know, nobody's going to build it for us. We have to build it for ourselves. And entrepreneurs have to come together first and foremost, um, you know, and organize the community and, and say, you know, this is who we are and this is what we're doing and, and this is what we need. Uh, and then investors or, or other people will or, or will not be, you know, relevant for that conversation. I think that the whole expectation that somebody else is going to come and, you know, do this hard work, um, it, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's a false expectation. A warm thank you to you, Ben White of VC for Africa, for making the time to chat to me. And uh, if you're interested in hearing the full conversation I had with Ben, I suggest you follow me on Twitter at Masugu Andile, where I'll be sharing the link to that conversation pretty soon. Right, once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. And of course, in honor of the sad passing away of the world's greatest Muhammad Ali, we recommend that you listen to Muhammad Ali, The Making of an Icon, a book by Michael Ezra. To get that book for free, just click through to audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech and enjoy. That's audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. That's the week's show, folks. Catch the show again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com at 9 a.m. Central African time. In the meantime, I leave you with this lovely quote from the great Muhammad Ali. 
Don't count the days, make the days count. I'm Andy Limasugu. Take it easy, Africa.